0: very happy to be here with you. That's Randy. <laughs> he did it, yeah. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very happy to be here with you this day, this morning, and I thank the Lord for the privilege. Through the years, like Brother John says, we've been working together. I have been in Mexico, you have been here We've been going there, you've been going with us too sometimes, you've been preaching, you have been praying for us, and uh, we both have tried to do our best for the Lord. I remember the last time I was here, I think it was in 2006, and I thank you because I know you have been praying for us through these years. Again, like Brother John said, my wife is with with me this time, as always. And uh, I thank the Lord for her. She has been a tremendous help in the work and being patient with me. And of course, I thank uh, my host family here. I know I can come here almost at any time and knock on the door, and they will have a place for me to stay. I feel like uh, I'm at home. And I thank the Lord for all of you. I have known some of you, or some of you have known me for a long time. I'm sorry if I cannot remember all the names and all the faces. I was talking to Brother Austin just a while ago, and uh, he remembers when I was here, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 years ago. He remembered the occasion. He said that we got into a little room there with the deacons, and we talked, and I had a good talk there, you know, and I, I sold them my merchandise, and uh, i had remembered that but i'm i'm so glad and like i said through the years we have worked together Uh, i don't have much time today and i will invite you to stay with me because i want to talk to you about uh, a subject that came to my my mind almost as soon as brother john uh, invited me to come over and be with you i wonder what can i tell them what can i preach about you know you got one preacher two preachers you got all the preachers you need here and good preachers too i know but i thought uh, i can share with them my dreams and i can share with them my vision so i'm speaking to you today on this subject a vision that is becoming a reality a vision that is becoming a reality In looking to the dictionary for a definition of the word, I found four different meanings. Uh, we can change the, the uh, graphic there in, in the presentation, if you will, because uh, vision that I found means uh, can mean, of course, the faculty of sight. You know, having eye vision, what they call twenty twenty vision, or whatever vision you may have. But that's, that's a physical thing. Then also there's the definition of an, un, an unusual foresight. That's, that's pretty good. Number three, I found a mental image produced by the imagination. And this is the one I like better because the last one I didn't like too much. It says the experience of the supernatural as, as if with the eyes. Now, that's another kind of vision and I will not speak on that. I think I will keep the third one as my, my definition, a mental image produced by the imagination. And of course, I'm not going to analyze the word. I know what you that all, all of you know what the word means. And uh, what I would like to do is uh, rather uh, speak to you on the vision that God has given me for the work in Mexico. And uh, I am taking the uh, liberty to use uh, this three-point uh, structure, you know, that many of you have heard in the youth conflict seminar, the, the birth of the mission, the death of the mission, and then the rebirth of the mission, because that's about what happened. That's what, what happened in my life. So let me start with uh, the birth of my vision. I, like many of you, had many plans for life. My father sort of programmed us 10 children to be professional people. He told my oldest brother, you're going to be a doctor. My oldest sister said, you're going to be a dentist. I was the third child and he said, you're going to be a lawyer. And to the fourth one, he said, you're going to be an an accountant and so on. There was 10 of us. And uh, pretty much I, I followed that vision that my father had instilled in my mind for some times. But uh, something happened in my life, and the Lord began to deal with me. And in the month of June in 1963, I surrendered to the ministry, being at a youth camp one night. I was 25 at the time, and I was a practicing attorney in the city of Monterey. I don't know what happened. It's just the Lord dealt with me so strongly that I couldn't resist it. He had been working with me for some time. Uh, In the years before, but I guess he allowed me to finish my career and start practicing law and all that and and, and get on with my my dreams before he spoke to me uh, a little harder. Anyway, I went back to Monterrey and I talked to my father. And as I have said many times, I thought that he, being a preacher for many, many years, would have been so happy, so excited about my being called to the ministry, that we would just jump and, and call everybody and make a big fiesta. But he did nothing of the kind. He just very gravely said, Son, I'll pray for you. And I pray that God will bless you. And that will guide you and keep you. I said, that was it. That was it. Anyway, I came to the seminary to, to study. And if you had asked me back then in 1963, what was your vision back then? I would have said, just preach the gospel and help my dad with the work in Mexico. That was all. He had been the pastor of the church. He was 56 years of age at the time. He was not in good health. And I I could see him struggle, suffer for lack of help. So that was my, my vision. I came to the seminary and I I did my seminary work here in the city of Little Rock from 1963 to 1966. That's a long time ago and I was ordained to the ministry on the uh, 18th of March, I think it was. And there you can see in the screen a very significant picture for me because that's my father who uh, drove from Monterrey with a group of uh, church members to be in my ordination, and to preach my ordination service. I went back to Mexico on the 1st of July that year, 1966, to preach the gospel and help my father. And I did work with him from like 1966, to the the summer of 1966, to the summer of 1967. Again, I don't know, many times I have thought about this, but I have no answer. Why was it so difficult with, for me to work with my father? Many of you perhaps have worked with your father. And uh, both he and I were strong-willed characters. And um, and I would say, let's do it this way. And he said, let's do it that way. And my vision did not coincide with his vision. And so pretty soon I understood that I was no good for the, for the job. I didn't have the qualifications. So I guess... I better quit and go and look somewhere else. I guess that uh, you could call that the death of my vision. At that time, I could almost see myself as a prodigal son before he returned to the home. I know there were other factors that intervened in the situation, but uh, the net result was I did quit working with my father. Of course, now, many many years after being a father myself having my children and having also problems with them i understand and i can feel the pain that i must have inflicted on my father his preacher boy the one in whom he was going to pour himself the one he was going to guide and teach the one he was going to lead by the hand so to speak in the experiences of pastoring a church of uh, leading a group of men the one who wanted to preach the gospel and help his dad was now quitting the gospel the ministry I believe that must have been almost unbearable for him but he just kept going on and you say what happened to you to me well to me I went back to to work, I got me a teaching position pretty soon in one of the local colleges, and um, of course, I kept going to church. Every now and then, I would sing a song, a special. I even had a Sunday school class a time or two. I gave my offerings, my tithes, and everything, and that was about it. I started to work on my master's degree in business administration early in '68. And by 1971, I had graduated. And the college I was working for, the Monterey Institute of Technology, asked me to come and work with them. So I said, fantastic, I will do it. So I was working with them. Good position, good salary, good good, uh, conditions. Things were looking great for me from the material point of view. Somehow, I wasn't feeling happy. I wonder why. I talked within myself many times and I said, What, what is it? And so I said, a, Yes, what you need is to get you a good wife. I was a little over 30, 32 to be exact, and I was still single but not happy. You know how it goes, single and happy, but I was single but not happy. So I had met this young lady in church a few years before and I started dating her. And about two years later, we were married. And um, now I could say I was finally complete. Had a good job, had a good wife, and she soon told me that uh, we were gonna have a baby in the middle of 1974. So everything looked real, real nice for us. We started making adjustments in our apartment, in our lives, in our times, in everything. And uh, on top of all that, several job offers had come to to my office in the Monterey Tech along those years. And I was considering, you know, making a change, improving my conditions, getting more money, better pay, more recognition, more satisfaction. As I was doing that, something unexpected happened. My father fell ill in the fall of 73, and in a few days, in a matter of 10 days, he was called to be with the Lord. That completely shook up my whole world. I didn't say anything, but I started to think, what is going to happen next? What's gonna happen to the church? Of course, by that time, my father had been the pastor for 22 years. He had an associate, and the job was offered to him almost immediately. And I I felt kind of peace within myself, and I said, fine. If he takes it, I can help him all I can, and I will do it this time. But uh, time went by, one month, two months, three months, And uh, at the end of January, he hadn't taken the position. He hadn't made a commitment. And here's where the birth of my, the rebirth of my vision comes in. Can we go back just one minute to the last plate there? There you can see my father on the left with a child in his arms. That's me. I was three years old. That's my father. And then on the other side, that's my father, years after he had passed away, and the, young, the good-looking gentleman there standing with him this years truly, of course. Uh, we made this picture mounting, you know, for one of our uh, magazines there in Mexico that, that I published. Other. Again, you know, another thing that I have to do. at the editor of the magazine of the association. Anyway, so uh, I began to think what's gonna happen. One day, you know, we come to a church and the gentleman that had been offered the position, he just reached into his pocket inside his, his coat and he read a letter saying, I cannot accept the position. The church was completely taken by surprise. What are we going to do now? Well, the pulpit committee came to me and asked me, would you take the job? At that moment, I said, What? Did you know that I quit on you seven years ago? Don't you know that I've been working out there, enjoying my life and making money? Do you not know that I have not preached one single time in seven years? I said to them, Are you really willing to take a chance with someone that uh, will have to follow the steps of a giant? Well, they said, As a matter of fact, we think that no one can love the church as you can. Since your father gave his life in service to her. And we know that God called you, even though you've been rebellious. And we know that you went to the seminary and got a good training. And besides, we don't have anybody else in mind. So, for me, that did it. That day, I said, I'll take it. We did not even talk about salary, working conditions, anything. I just said, I'll take it. Well, they did tell me, we cannot pay you what you're making over there at the Monterey Tech, but you can keep your job over there and work part-time for us. I said, that's not what I learned from my father. Being a pastor is a full-time, exclusive time job I don't think I could do it on a part-time basis. They said, well, whatever you want. So the next day, I went to my boss, and I presented my resignation. He said, what is this? I said, this is my resignation. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm quitting. I'll give you two weeks' notice. I'll work until the end of February. That's it. He said, are you out of your mind? You must be out of your mind. I said, well, I may be out of my mind. But finally, I'm finding peace and happiness and joy and completeness. My boss said, when he found out what I was going to do, he thought I was going to go with one of the other companies there in town or somewhere else. When I told him, no, I'm going to follow my father's footsteps. I'm going to become the pastor of the church. He said, well, I guess that with the men up there, we can't fight I said, no, we can't, so I resigned, and uh, on March the 1st, 1974, I was installed as a pastor of the Berea Baptist Church, the third pastor in her 62 years of life. That was exactly 38 years ago, just on the first day of March this year. As a matter of fact, I was sitting there in, in church that Thursday night, and I began to sing. Happy anniversary to you. And my wife and I were sitting there, and and she said, I had completely (laughs) forgot. So involved in the work, that's what we are. But I don't want to tell you any more about the story of my life. I want to share with you, remember, we're talking about vision. And we're talking about the birth of the vision and the the death of it. And now we're talking about the rebirth of the vision. And I, can, I guess I could also call this a change of a vision because what I want to do is tell you a few short, real life stories that uh, prove that the Lord did not give up on me back then in 67 when I quit working with my father. When I, when I started working with the church, when I became the pastor of the church, the vision that my father had worked, followed, and instilled in me and in the other church members and in the whole congregation, became alive and became real to me. And we started then, I thought with myself, we have to keep on spreading the word. We have to keep on planting churches. That's what we had been doing in the previous years. And by now, like I said a few minutes ago, in 62 years, our church has planted 22 other churches, all over Mexico. And many of these uh, 22 22 churches are already as strong, as large as our church and they are also following the footsteps, they are following the model and they are planting more churches themselves. Like the first missionary Baptist Church of Guadalupe that we started back in 66, pastored by my friend, Brother Rosendo Pruneda, they have started 10 other churches. And I was telling uh, one of the ladies that was there, you know, and worked with Brother Francisco, Brother Paco in Juarez, that was a little mission a few years ago. You came and helped with the building, pour the part of the roof there. Well, they started the mission about a year and a half ago. They are they are already uh, setting a date to organize that church. So, like I said, the vision planting, uh, the church planting vision, is still alive and going on and then of course we have also the vision for christian education again my father started back in 53 a bible school there you see in the picture giving or presenting the diplomas to the first uh, boy the first gentleman that was graduated there on the picture on the right and then on the one on the left presenting to the first lady that graduated both of them are still in the work The, the the preacher on the right pastors a church in saltillo The other lady is a member of our church and still in the work. Uh, The seminary, it's a tremendous work. Uh, You know, there was a time a few years ago, I remember, when um, I was so discouraged because, you know, trying to prepare a class and teach a class to a a group of two, and sometimes one of them is absent, is kind of discouraging. And you say, it's too much time. Maybe it's not worth it maybe we should uh, just uh, discontinue it or pass it to another church as a matter of fact i told the churches i told brother rosendo i said if you want to be the sponsor of the bible school go ahead and take it i'm done with it and you know the wisest words that he said he said i'll take it after one year if you keep it one more year and you pray and work and we'll help you and you're still unsatisfied with it i'll take it be glad to well let me tell you we still have it we still have it we kept it and and from teaching a class to one or two or three or four students at times the Lord has blessed us in the last few years we have had large groups right now you're seeing a picture there of a part of our student group and our teachers for the class that is now in operation the, the session that is now in operation we registered something like 57 students and uh, we have 12 professors, 12 teachers what, that are mostly pastors of the churches we have started. And uh, all my staff is in there. The four, the four pastors that, uh, that make up the, the pastoral staff of the church, you know, we are all teachers there too. And the Lord is blessing and we are enjoying it so much. Now many of them are scattered throughout Mexico. And the vision for Christian education is still going. Each one of these subjects, you know, could make a whole story. I could tell you about the young fellows we are bringing from southern Mexico to prepare in, in Monterrey, and I will tell you about, about that program. I could tell you about many other things, but I don't, I don't have the time this time, and, uh, and I'm just uh, scanning through the different aspects of the ministry. And then you have the youth camp ministry, of course. This is, this is a tremendous thing. This vision started with me back in 1960 when I came to a youth camp here in the States. I didn't know what it was. But once I was there, I said we have got to have something like this for our youth. Um, but it was uh, in summer of 1973, precisely the father, the, the year that my father died, that he led the church to buy a piece of property in Montemorello. Some of you have been there, and believe me, it's it's a job to to maintain it, not not alone to let alone to build more structure. But right now we have. Uh, uh, Progressed, and we we feel that we can uh, have facilities for 300 campers, which is a pretty good number. As a matter of fact, year before last in Christmas, we brought this would be incredible. We brought we brought about 120 youngsters from in Yucatan, Campeche, Chiapas, Tabasco, Hidalgo, the other states where we have works, and we brought them to the youth camp. And we went over 300 for that session. It was. It was a tremendous experience. We're still working there. Uh, Two years ago, the hurricane that came by, you know, just washed up our our past, and we had to cancel a couple of camps because there was no way to get on the other side of the creek. But now we rebuilt the past, and we're working in the infrastructure and redoing a lot of things, and I ask you to pray for that, and I thank you for the support that you have given us. But I want to center the last few moments of my talk on the vision for the missions in southern Mexico. You know, in southern Mexico, you see the map of Mexico and the peninsula of Yucatan, or the Yucatan Peninsula, as it is known, is made up of five states. It's Yucatan, then Quintana Roo, Campeche, Tabasco, and Chiapas. And I remember going to Mexico, to Merida with my father, uh, to Yucatan back in 1965. There was a little church that had just been established there and he went there to visit it. I mean, from Monterey from to Yucatan is like um, a 30, 34 hours drive, depending on how many stops you make. But that's a long drive, you know, and we, we did it a couple of times with him. And then uh, in 1967, two years later, before I quit working with him, I went to Damasco with him, and two other churches were organized on that occasion. And later, a church was organized in Campeche, and, uh, Uh, Brother Austin was telling me and some of you were there, Brother Weaver was there too in Campeche with uh, Brother Chapman, one of the pastors of this church back in the 50s where the church is there struggling it's been uh, attacked it had been attacked by the enemy recently but it's still there and we're going to support her as much as we can and as, as much as they allow us to help. But see I never went to Chiapas with my father. So In 1975, after I became the pastor, and I will not tell you all the details on how I did it, but I finally got to go to Chiapas with some other uh, members of my church. And what I saw there, I, I told my church, it was just like walking into a history book. I mean, really, literally. What you saw there, you can see there a meeting, one of the meetings we had there. We just had the benches there, you know, in the patio out there, no building at that time so we just met out in the open as it usually is but what i saw there that experience was so tremendous for me that i became in love with the field of chiapas for the rest of my life in one of the trips i made we established a boy's home which uh, we could not support It's tremendous work you know i was listening to the brother a while ago uh, talking about the ministry he's in well we tried that but we operated for three years. We had 15 boys that we had uh, selected from the different areas there, sending them to school, teaching them the Bible, and keeping them in, in a close relationship to each other. But we just failed. I mean, we just couldn't hold it. So what I did, I said, each and every one of you, this is my word. You know, if you want to go to Monterrey to further your study, to study, and, and do all, all that God wants you to be, I'll take you. And I'll support you. I don't know how, but I'll do it because I don't want to fail you here. Well, three of them decided to come. Two of them were brothers. One of them was Eduardo. Eduardo was like 15 or 16 years of age when he came, and in the 10 years he was there, like from 1980 to 1990, we put him through the Bible school and also he got his uh, university education. He he became a lawyer. He got a degree. And then he wanted to go back to his people. And I said, fantastic. Now you got a, a, a profession. Now you got a, a preparation, a good training. You can support yourself at the same time you, you preach the gospel. And that was a tremendous mistake. We left him alone. He tried. He did the best he could, but he couldn't continue in the work. It was just too much. And uh, a couple of years later, he just gave up. So... I almost gave up too. I said, well, 10 years of my life, 10 years of work, they're go, through the drains. I forgot about Chiapas, but the Lord didn't. So in 1992, I went back to Chiapas. There was a young fellow there, about 14, 15 years of age. He said, I'd like to go to Monterrey and study. And I said, you're too young. He said, uh, but I want to study. Well, I said, let's wait in one year, and I'll take you the next year. So I sent for him a a preacher friend of mine, and when he came to Monterrey, I got not only one, but I got two, the two that you see there on the left side of the picture. Uh, The younger fellow is Emilio, and the older fellow, you know, with the diploma in his hands, that's Ricardo. And that's when he had graduated from uh, uh, high school. On the right, you see Ricardo, I guess it was shortly after he arrived in Monterrey. Now, a brother uh, from Kentucky had promised me, he said, if you take him to Monterrey with you, uh, I'll help you to support him. He said, how much uh, does it take to support one of these fellows there? I said, maybe about $200, you know, per month. He said, I'll help you. Well, what he didn't know, and I didn't know, it was that I was going to get two. So the $200, you know, had to be stretched in 10 years they were there. The younger one, Emilio, got his Bible training, and he has his law training, and he became a lawyer. There you can see him on the day of his graduation, signing his papers, and I cannot tell you how proud I felt because he had been with me 10 years. That's what I told his parents. I said, you may not see him again in, in many years, and they just said, we like what is best for him. So he came to Monterey, and he studied. Now, he, he never said he wanted to be a missionary or a pastor, and we didn't try to force him. He's now uh, a great help in one of our churches in Monterrey. He married one of our local girls, you know, and he's raising his family there. But the other one, Ricardo, Ricardo, uh, that's another story. With Ricardo, he graduated from the Bible school. He um, also got his degree in agriculture, because he said over there in my in my town, in my branch or my village, you know, uh, being a lawyer is going to be difficult, but being an arg- uh, agricultural man can be a real help. So we uh, trained him uh, on that, or he got a training with that. But uh, this one did go as a, go back as a missionary to uh, his people. But let me take a little time and open here a parenthesis. That's a big word for me. To tell you this story, listen to this. One day I'm here, I'm there in my office. Some of you have been in my office in in the old building in downtown, and my secretary's office is right next to it. It's just the door, you know, and you can hear everything she says over there, and she can hear everything I say over here. That's not a good situation, but that's what we have. And one afternoon, I overheard that Ricardo came into the into her office, and he asked for permission to use the telephone. And my secretary said, "Okay, go ahead." And I overheard the conversation. Ricardo was calling a man in town asking for a job. Looks like uh, there was an opening in one of the local cemeteries. And since he was an agricultural man, he applied for the job, you know, taking care of the grass and the trees and the flowers and all that among the graves. You know, as he was talking and making the appointment for the next day, I was listening. I quit doing what I was doing, you know, to pay more attention. And I could almost feel, you know, the, the, the... on the one side, you know, the heat building up in me like uh, just about to explode. On the other side, you know, I felt so sad because I said 10 more years of my ministry are going to the Here he is already training, ready to go back to his people. And what is he doing? He's trying to get a job here, you know, to take care of a cemetery. Not being able to stand it anymore, I picked up the phone. I told my secretary to send Ricardo in place. So he comes in. He stands in front of me, very respectful, and I said, sit down. Most of the students, especially, and some of the church members know that when I said, I want to talk to you, come to my office, you know, there'll be sparks, (laughs) and there might be a little fire too. So he is there, I say, sit down. And I said, what is this that I hear you talking? Are you telling me that you are looking for a job? here in Monterrey had you not told me that your heart was with your people there in your village did you not tell me that God had called you to preach wasn't that what you told me when you came to Monterrey and asked and received our help that you were getting trying to go and preach the gospel he was stunned you know he didn't know what to say I said are you telling me now that you are quitting are you failing me and what is even worse, are you failing, God? What's going to happen to the people there that haven't heard? When I finished talking, he said, brother, he said, yes, I haven't changed my mind. I listened. He said, I'm still going back. I want to go back. I promise to go back. That's what I want to do. And I said, well, what are you doing now? Are you getting a job to work and make money? Maybe remembering my life. And are you going there in five or ten more years? Now is the time. And he said to me, and I felt very embarrassed, he said, I want to go back, but I don't have the money for the, for the, fare, for the bus fare. And I, I cannot go there empty-handed. I've been gone from my village for ten years. My little brothers and sisters have grown up. And my parents have aged. I need to go back and bring some gifts for them. And besides, I need some money to uh, cooperate with my family's expenses since I will be living with my father. He's 27 years of age at this time. The more I heard, the more embarrassed that I became. And I, say, I had to tell him, Ricardo, I said, forgive me for thinking wrong about you. What is it that you need for the fair? He said, I need about maybe $200. And how much do you need there to support yourself, to help your parent with the expense? He said, maybe $200 per month. I said, forgive me, because I thought that uh, the story was another one. This is what I want you to do. Get back to the telephone right now and tell that man that you got a better job. Tell him that you will not show up for the appointment tomorrow. Because you are going back to your people. I'll see that you go back there. We'll help you with the bus fare. We'll help you with the first six months of support until we can get you on the budget and make you a real life missionary of the church with a real pay. Is that okay with you? You say that's okay. Two weeks later, he was boarding a bus. And that's a real picture of the evening he was there at the bus station. And we went to say goodbye to him. All his in, in uh, dormitory friends, some of the church members were also with him, and we can see that in the next picture. Uh, he was so happy. My wife and I are there, and others, a couple of teachers from the seminary, all of us participating of this fantastic experience. Well, I'll tell you what. It took about two years to Richard to go back and and, and become become the leader. See, his father and his uncle were the real leaders there. And they had him to sit down in the church, in the services, before he could step up to the pulpit. As a matter of fact, he, he used to write me and tell me how depressed he was because he says, my father won't allow me to. They say that the pulpit is so sacred that I'm just a child. I'm just a young fellow. I I'm, I don't have the right to do it. I had to write a letter to these two fellows and say, look, Ricardo is well-trained. He's ready. He has our trust. He's our missionary. We're going to support him. But uh, if you cannot have any use for him, we'll find him another spot somewhere else. Chiapas is a big state, and he's ready. Little by little, they begin to yield, you know, and pretty soon he became uh, the man in charge. And by now, both his father and his uncle and everybody talk about Ricardo as our pastor. Ask the pastor. He is the pastor. I was with them in May 2004 and enjoyed very much what I saw. And by the way, that time I learned that Eduardo, my first project from 1980 to 1990, was back in church work. And, and that was fantastic because I could thank the Lord. I couldn't see it. That was not in my But that was in God's vision for me, that Eduardo would go away for a while and then would return. He's got three children now, and both he and his family are working in that mission over there in the town where they live. When I was there with Ricardo in in 2004, um, I promised him that I would uh, help him to build a church building because the one they had um, was too close to the river, maybe... Uh, as far as from here to the parking lot. And, and, and it's on a slope, you know. And every time the river flooded, the church building also flooded. And one time that I was there, you know, I could see the marks of the water maybe six feet up on the walls. <coughs> and they said, we need a new building. And uh, they showed me what they wanted, you know. They gave me the drawings. Look at them in there. You know, just a piece of paper, out of a mm, paper. Uh, notebook or something you know they just drew there what they wanted I said well let me take it to the architects in the church and see what we can do so we went back to Monterrey and I got uh, the news to the people and we got uh, an architect an engineer civil engineer and a preacher and we sent them back to uh, Chiapas and I said now survey the place over there and go back to the to the last one please show it Uh, can you show the last picture please I want you to see uh, next to the last one. We lost there. Go back. Go back. There's. That's the one. That's the lot they had. And they said, this is what we want to do. I'm not much of a builder, tell you, but uh, my vision by this time had increased. So with the help of the other brethren, they're sitting with me at the table, the engineer, the architect, and the preacher, we decided that uh, it was a worthy project, and we said, we're going we're gonna to help you. So we started in, nine, in 2004. They themselves dug the, the holes for the foundation, and Ricardo used to tell me that the people in town were, were surprised because they were so big and thinking, they said, what are you going to do here? And he was proud, you know, and with a full mouth, he could say, "This is going to be a church for the honor of the Lord." And uh, uh, I told I took I told the people in Monterrey, we just got to get behind this project. And then I told some friends in the states, you know, and 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 I brought in 2006. I brought a group of uh, 14 or 15 men to Petalcingo, and they poured the concrete floor, and then we started going up with the walls and. Uh, And uh, in October, I it says, in 2005, you know, these people came and helped with the construction. They poured the concrete floor. And then in 2008, we went back. And by this time, the building, the first stage of the building, the lower section was ready. And they received the members of the the messengers of our churches to the national meeting. And we organized the church. We had already ordained uh, Ricardo back in Monterrey a couple of years before. And I want you to see, there's, uh, there's uh, Brother Ricardo on the day that the, the church was being examined. And if I remember correctly, in that picture, he was interceding for his people because we had to ask the question in Spanish, and somebody had to translate it into the Celtal, and then the answer came back in Celtal, and then he had to come back to Spanish to tell us what the answer was before we could approve them as a church. And so he was interceding with his people, uh, with us for his people, saying, Look, don't be so rough on them. You know, I love them. I know them. I trust them. I know that uh, they're, they're good people. Uh, you can see there a picture of the congregation, part of the, congreg- the local congregation, and part of the visitors and church members from our church that made the trip to be with them and be the witnesses to all this. Well, I got one more picture or two that I can show you, and that's the first stage. Of the picture, I wish it was clearer, uh, but it's fantastic. By now, by now, we have started and, and progressed with the second story. And um, I want to finish this talk of mine telling you that uh, this story, like many others, is an ongoing story. And all of them the story of Ricardo, the story of Emilio, the story of Edward. The story of this church, of that mission, of that project, of the youth camp, or this and that, they are all part of a vision that is becoming a reality. I want to finish by telling you I'm going back to Chiapas again next July. At the end of the month, I will be going back there, and I'm, I'm inviting you to come with me if you want to. Uh, this time, we're visiting five different uh missions and or churches that we are working with helping that we have been helping to build their buildings much of your offerings go to these projects because these people really don't have much and we try to help them we we have been building in Petalcingo and chiapas and then in Yajalón, and then in another town that it would just uh, touch your heart you know if you were there if you could listen to them singing if you could see their eyes asking for help and their hearts full of hope. And we will be seeing a lot of these people and visiting different places that, uh, that we have been working with. You can see it, you can see it for yourself. You, If you are willing and able and then you will see, you will understand much better why I am sold out to my vision. I want to see the people. I want to see the stages. That the buildings are in i want to see how much more help they need and what else we can do i got so much more things that i could share with you but i want to finish by telling you that this is not something that i can claim credit for me or for my church if there is any credit to this work it belongs first to the lord and then to the people themselves and then to us that god has given us an opportunity to work with them, and for him. Many of you have come and have helped us there. Right now, the conditions are not very favorable, but as soon as things improve, I would expect you to come and keep on helping us because the vision is still alive. I will be 74 next October. I don't know what God has planned for me, I was hoping that I would uh, find some consolation in Brother John so I could retire. I told my wife just before we arrived here, I said, I bet you Brother Von has retired, he's already 82. And if he has retired, I will retire too. But you know what, he's still working. I don't think I will be able to retire either. But maybe soon I will not be able to walk up the hills over there. I have to lean on someone to go from place to place over there because it's not nice floors like this. But as long as I can, I will be going. And I'm here to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your effort. I know you have worked and prayed and hoped and worked with us physically. Keep on doing it. Keep on giving keep on praying no sacrifice is enough if we sing what we sang a while ago i want to every tribe and every people all over the world to know your name and to worship you and rejoice in you we you and we have to keep on giving let me close by saying this this is not i, I don't want to be disrespectful disrespectful to you But we have challenged our church for missions. 30% of our yearly budget goes to missions. I'm not quoting an amount. I'm just saying a percentage. I think you can do it. You can do a much better job for the Lord in missions. May God bless you. It's my prayer.